There is One by Gutman Locks. Number 68. Consider. Do not follow after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you will go astray. With these words, the Torah warns not to do what seems so natural. Is it not our heart that tells us right from wrong? How can we refuse to believe our innermost feelings, our very being? Is this not the center our systems must answer to? It may seem that to cut off our heart would leave us floating in a mind-centered maze, bouncing off opinions. But we must decide which is reliable, our heart and senses, or our ancient Torah. Some years ago, there lived a Jewish man who set out to find spiritual truth. He opened an Indian import shop, so it was only natural for him to read the Eastern philosophies. Impressed with what he found, he began an intense regime of exercises, fasts, and chants. After some time, he noticed the power had developed that began as a slight buzzing. It started to move around his body and finally increased to the point that others could feel it while standing next to him. This caused the group to flock around him and he became their spiritual leader. The power increased and became quite strong, but then it began to come and go. When it came, he felt a great sense of well-being. When it left, he felt as if his life was draining out of his body through his fingertips. He became weak and confused. To find an answer to what had become the most crucial problem of his life, he traveled to India. He had heard of an accomplished master, and with no apparent alternative, he endured the hardships of travel and sought him out. He found the master surrounded by many disciples. He followed all of the required customs to approach him, and when he finally gained his approval, he asked his question, How can I stop the feeling that my life is draining out through my fingers? The master smiled and said, That is easy. Simply touch your forefingers to your thumbs and it will stop. He touched his forefingers to his thumbs and the draining sensation stopped. He fell on his face and kissed the master's feet and said, You are my master. You have saved my life. The group of disciples sighed, How great is our master. The older disciples explained to the younger initiates that by touching their forefingers to the thumb, their life force energy is recycled back into the body. All were happy. All understood the great wisdom of the East. A new disciple had come. His heart and senses confirmed that his life had been saved. He knew he was doing the right thing. Now let us look at this wisdom. Is it so wise that a man should have to walk through life touching his thumbs to his forefingers in order to hold his life within his body? Does this make any sense at all? He was in trouble and his solution actually deepened his quandary. His heart and his senses told him that he was healed. But his healing caused him to spend the next 15 years almost until the day of his death following a man who told him, Simple. Just touch your forefingers to your thumbs. 
In California, there lived an assimilated Jewish family. The wife decided to find spiritual truth, and much like the man whose life was draining out of his fingers, she began by reading books on various religions and disciplines. She answered an ad in a magazine promising to unlock the secrets of the power of the mind. They sent her books describing the untapped psychic power of her psychic mind. It was so fascinating that she began to become engrossed in the books and tried all of the exercises they recommended. This is so wonderful, she thought. Why isn't this taught to the children in school? She became very successful in her practices. Her psychic power increased by leaps and bounds until, finally, she could know the thoughts of those around her by simply looking into her mind. She understood things undiscernible by the normal senses. People were amazed and began to cling to her to learn about her spiritual truth. She became an exalted teacher with a deep respect of many people who asked her advice on all sorts of matters. All was fine for a while, but then it became impossible to turn off the clairvoyance. It became more and more disturbing until her mind was affected. Voices became thoughts and thoughts became voices until she could not tell if what she was thinking was her own thoughts or those of the people standing around her. She became mentally unbalanced. Her husband was drifting away and the family prepared for a divorce. Although she truly wanted to continue in her role as a spiritual guide, her family meant more, so she agreed to seek help. But where could she find it? Certainly if she, the major psychic in the area, did not understand what was going on, then no one would. She longed for a normal life, but no matter how hard she tried to leave her power, it would not leave her. None of the books could explain this phenomenon, and she became frantic. No one knew the answer. Desperate, with nowhere else to turn, she went to a rabbi well known for his wisdom. Rabbi, she began, how can I control my psychic power? It's ruining my life. He said, you go home and keep the laws of kosher to the very absolute letter, and the power will go away within three days. She went away entirely skeptical, certain that his solution had nothing to do with her problem. But the thought of losing her mind in marriage was too much for her. She would try anything, even what obviously could not work. She went home and began what seemed like a senseless task, a task without reason. Meat on this side, milk on the other, new dishes, blowtorch the oven, boiling water for the counters, throw out a lot of apparently good food, go through the cabinets, the pantry, even the aluminum foil. My God, she screamed, is there any end to all of this nonsense? Her mind would wander off, but she could not space out too far or else she would forget if that was a milk or meat spoon in her hand. She struggled to keep her attention on the problem at hand. She made mistakes, screamed a lot, but finally ended up with a kosher house. And by the end of three days, the clairvoyance stopped. No one could have been more amazed. Was the rabbi some great psychic in disguise? Or maybe he was just a vision and was not really there. He was not a psychic, nor was he a vision. He was just a wise person who knew that God has sent us here to be involved with earthly things. 
for the rabbi, it was to run a synagogue with its thousands of problems that forbade floating off. For a Jewish housewife, it is the laws of kashrut that provide a grounding bond. He could see that she had developed her problem with her mind, and it was her mind that was sustaining it. He knew from his own experience that, by being an attentive Jew, observant of all the Jewish laws, there could be no time to indulge oneself in floating around the cosmos. She needed to become grounded back onto the world to which she was sent. As for her husband, he has returned not only to his wife, but also to a Torah-observant life. The family is finally at peace. What sometimes seems to be right in our heart does not always work out. Emotions cloud reason. New experiences can be tricky without a base to draw upon. Having a wise old friend to point out the safe way is certainly a precious gift. The Torah is such a friend. Its wisdom will endure even after gold fails. As it says, not by power, not by might, but by spirit, says the Lord. There is one dot com.